Will you make a more firm decision on whether or not minors should be involved in these decisions? Senator, uh, transgender medicine is a very complex and nuanced field, uh, and if confirmed to the position of Assistant Secretary of Health, I would certainly be pleased to come to your office and talk with you and your staff about the standards of care and the complexity of this field. Let it go into the record that the witness refused to answer the question. The question is a very specific one. Should minors be making these momentous decisions? First off, can we just get a, a round of applause for Senator Rand Paul's line of questioning there? Um, you're really going to appreciate his questioning in a second when I play the whole video. Um, but props. Props to you, Senator. This is the Point B Podcast, episode 24. Welcome to it. Thank you for joining me. Um, just want to say I've been having so much fun doing this podcast. I, I've had a, a lot of fun staying up late, researching, reading the news, trying to stay up to date on current events. And it's been cool. It's been been good holding myself accountable through the podcast. And so in a sense, you're holding me accountable. Um, so I like that. I appreciate it. Anyways, um, Today, I'm not going to talk to you about Black Raffle Coffee. Um, I will point you to their website, www.blackrafflecoffee.com. But I'm actually, I can't tell you that I'm sipping on my Black Raffle Coffee. I could tell you that. I'd be lying, though. Uh, I'm sipping on some V8 Energy. Uh, I've been drinking so much coffee lately. It's one of those things where, you know, when you start, it's really being dehydrated, I guess. But if you drink a lot of coffee... You know, your, your kidneys, your sides start hurting. I get that every now and then. Um, so, I mean, I know I'm going to have kidney stones. Everybody in my family has had kidney stones. So, yeah, I got that to look forward to. Um, so, I'm playing, taking it easy on the coffee today. I had it my cup this morning and that's about it. But, anyways, y'all don't give a crap about that. What I hope you do care about is Cross and Musket Apparel. I've been pointing you towards... Cross and Musk Apparel, uh, one, is a way to get a cool t-shirt, a Christian t-shirt, um, the Give Me Puppies or Give Me Death t-shirt is uh, by far the most popular, but really what it is, is it's a tangible way for you to get something in return for supporting the podcast. All the t-shirts, all the, the printing and the labor, all that stuff is all paid for, um, so every t-shirt I sell or we sell that you purchase with promo code INSTA for 20% off. Um, every shirt that you purchase is just money that I get to dump back into the podcast. And then of course, 10% of the, uh, the sale, the purchase price of a t-shirt goes to a charity that we are, um, working with that I will, as I've said before, I've just been so freaking busy and I apologize, but I will do an episode or at least a large segment about this charity that I've chosen. Um, but it is a great cause. It is not something that I believe is, um, political, even though everything is political now. But um, as I've t I told you, I think last episode of the, the one before this, this charity is, a, it is an alternative to Planned Parenthood, an alternative to abortion. Whether you agree with abortion or not, I feel like we can all unite around at least options, you know, like let's say AT&T internet is the best internet. 
Does that mean that we should just eliminate all other options? No. So if you believe abortion is a viable option for somebody who is pregnant and either can't afford a baby, doesn't want a baby, uh, wasn't planning on having a baby, or was forced into this pregnancy um, through whatever manner, um, if abortion is an option to you, hopefully you as a rational adult would be on board with there being more options available to other adults who are pregnant and need options. Uh, so this this charity that I will describe for you in more detail down the road, essentially that is what they do. They provide an option, at least, okay, if you don't want to have an abortion, if you want to have this baby, if you want to preserve this life, they have facilities where these pregnant women can be cared for. They can give birth. The babies will be cared for. And then they figure out what to do after the fact, whether it's the mother takes the baby home or the baby's put up for adoption. They, they, it's kind of an all-in-one package where they, they work to do what is best for the child. Um, so that is something I think we can all get behind. Uh, but again, Cross and Musket Apparel, find us on Instagram. That's the best way to, to reach out to us. It's at Cross and Musket, all spelled out, Cross and Musket. And uh, if you just go to the shop icon there, you can click on our t-shirts, pick your size, pick your color, and you can check out right there on the same screen. And again, promo code INSTA, I-N-S-T-A for 20% off. That's essentially free shipping, which USPS raised the rates again, and they continue to do so. So free shipping is not is not a, a cheap thing to just give away anymore, uh, but it is something that we want to do for you. Isn't that nice? Okay. Today, we've got a lot of stuff to go through, so uh, we're five minutes in. I need to hustle to get through all these articles, and I may not, I'm not going to rush it. We may put it off to, I don't know, a Monday or a Wednesday or something. Uh, we are going to talk some more about, uh, as I promised you last episode, this Attorney General nominee, Merrick Garland, uh, that Biden has nominated to be Attorney General of the land, of the country, and uh, his opinions or lack of regarding certain legal issues. Uh, we'll talk some more about this um, health, and human, health and Human Services uh, Assistant Secretary, I believe is her role, uh, from Philad- or Pennsylvania, I'm sorry. Um, so we will talk about her some more. We're going to talk about an opinion piece article, I think from WASHPO, yeah, Washington Post. Republicans don't get to talk about bipartisanship and some... Uh, <sighs> Got some fighting words in there. Uh, Cuccinelli to lead the initiative to take on the Democrats' sweeping HR1 election bill. That's a fascinating article, article, very important. We're going to talk about that. Joe Biden calls the Uyghur genocide different cultural norms. If I will give you a little bit of background on the Uyghur genocide going on in China. Um, I believe I'm pronouncing that. If I'm not, I'm sorry. Uyghur, I, I, I right-clicked and hit look up and it gave me the pronunciation and I didn't understand the pronunciation instructions. <laughs> so I'm guessing Uyghur. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on in China though, seriously, that, uh, man, it, it seems impossible that we could be going through this type of a world in 2021. Um, it seems like we're advanced past that, but, uh, there's a lot to get into there. Uh, Biden did order a strike against an Iran backed, Iran backed Syrian force, uh, so that was his first military uh, action, you know, an airstrike. So I'll, I'll introduce an article about that to you. Maybe there's not a whole lot to talk about there, except maybe some hypocrisy from the media. Uh, and then, of course, the fun topic. Mr. Potato Head is no more. Uh, 
he had it chopped off. Just kidding. No, uh, we'll get into that article hopefully uh, towards the end. I won't spend a whole lot of time there. But starting out, I do want to talk about this Health and Human Services Assistant Secretary nominee uh, who is trans. Um, If confirmed, she would be the first and the highest ranking trans member in our government. Her name is Rachel Levine, and I'm going to play for you the rest of that audio that I started the show with, Um, and then we're going to get into an article from Vox where they are trying, well, the article headline reads, Rand Paul tried to derail Rachel Levine's historic confirmation, historic confirmation hearing with transphobic misinformation. Oh, it's a fun article. If you want to pull it up and read it alongside me that, or alongside the podcast, it's great. Um, <laughs> great, uh, sarcastically. But uh, yeah, so let's listen to that audio in full. Uh, I think it's about four minutes, five and a half minutes, actually. So bear with me. I don't want to take anybody out of context. Um, to give you, I, I, I will jump through the first section. Rand Paul asked the same question essentially twice. Rachel Levine dodges it both times, almost verbatim, uh, and you heard the second time. So I'm going to fast forward it to the get past his first line of questioning, her first BS answer, and then we'll take it from there. Uh, standards of care that have been developed. And if I am fortunate enough to be confirmed as the Assistant Secretary of Health, I will look forward to working with you and your office and coming to your office and discussing the particulars of the standards of care for transgender yeah, medicine. The specific question was about minors. Let's be a little more specific since you evaded the question. Do you support the government intervening to override the parent's consent to give a child puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and or amputation surgery a breast and genitalia you have said well before we get into um the rest of that that's an important distinction because the box article is going to get into a lot of um, mudslinging as far as differences of opinion regarding transgender rights regarding um kind of the same situation we ran into with gay marriage not a lot of people are opposed to gay marriage i mean realistically there are of course there are the diehards there are there is the older generation where it's it's so taboo and 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 many people still believe it is i don't necessarily see it as um something to aspire to what is that beeping sorry just some truck backing in right next to my window my bad um so i don't necessarily see it as something to aspire to i obviously i am not homosexual or transgender or anything like that um the the problem with gay marriage and now with this as you just heard from Rand paul is the government mandate regarding it um i understand not discriminating against people you know what we have all this language on every single job application that you fill out um the uh, equal opportunity and all that that's great i don't want anybody to not get a job just because of who they sleep with or what's in their pants i want the most qualified person and again that is where free market principles solve all of these problems. If we can just get away from the gaslighting, from the, hey, you got to have this number of this subgroup of American on your payroll. Hey, you got to be this diverse. Um, that's, to me, where the problem comes in because it's no longer people doing what's right. It's, okay, I got to check this box. I got to check this box. And that way I can get my tax write off or not get charged a fee or not get seen as discriminatory. And, and then you lose on a, on, a, on a chance to get 
loans or to get full value of your loans. So if nobody really has a problem with these issues, why then is there so much focus on federal government intervention? Because when you get federal government intervention, then you're sacrificing the freedoms of one subgroup for the sake of elevating another group. And what do I mean by that? We saw all the issues with the uh, with gay marriage in that the, the issue is the definition of discrimination. Everybody's got their own definition of rich. Everybody's got their own definition of discrimination or of poverty or of you know what is a basic human right we've entered this realm where truth is so subjective now that we can't decide on just the the most foundational things in our in our country and so if i'm somebody like a baker somebody who makes a cake somebody who makes wedding cakes if i am somebody who officiates weddings um but i don't want to partake or to uh use my talents and my artistic ability if you know especially a cake maker th- those are pieces of art um i don't want to contribute to something that violates my core principles i should have that right of not ha- not being forced to violate my conscience you know if you're somebody for getting married and you're gay and you want somebody to make your cake why would you want somebody who doesn't believe in gay marriage to make your cake Again, free market principles. You go, you give your business to somebody who does feel passionately about your marriage, sees it as, oh, I love this idea of gay marriage. I want to support this wedding by baking them a cake or providing them with uh, marriage services or whatever it is. Bring that over um, back on topic to Rachel Levine. Um what we're seeing is the government now superseding parental consent to say, well, this is a basic human right. Therefore, I'll point out in this Vox article, they go on and on and on and on about people should have the right to do these things and and it should be seen as basic health services. And nowhere in there is the parent mentioned. And that's a problem with, with me. And with that, I'll, I'll let Rand Paul take it from there because he does explain it a lot better than I do. Um, let's see. Go ahead. That you're willing to accelerate the protocols for street kids. I'm alarmed that poor kids with no parents who are homeless and distraught, you would just go through this and allow that to happen to a minor. I would hope that you would have compassion for Kira Bell, who's a 23-year-old girl who was confused with her identity. At 14, she read on the internet about something about transsexuals. She thought, well, maybe that's what I am. She ended up getting these puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones. She had her breasts amputated. But here's what ultimately she says now. And this is a very insightful from decision from someone who made a mistake but was led to believe this was a good thing by the medical community. I made a brash decision as a teenager, as a lot of teenagers do, trying to find confidence and happiness, except now the rest of my life will be negatively affected, she said, adding that the medicalized gender transitioning was a very temporary, superficial fix for a very complex identity issue. 
What I'm alarmed at is that you're not willing to say absolutely minors shouldn't be making decisions to amputate their breast or to amputate their genitalia. For most of our history, we believe that minors don't have full rights and the parents need to be involved. So I'm alarmed that you won't say with certainty that minors should not have the ability to make the decision to take hormones that will affect them for the rest of their life. Will you make a more firm decision on whether or not minors should be involved in these decisions? And that's that's where we started the show at. And I'll play the rest of the clip in just a second. But I hate, honestly, I really do. I hate when politicians use a very, um, use examples of people because it, it always just seems like pandering. You know, you see Donald Trump pulling a, a, a veteran up on the, on the stage or pointing them out in the crowd at his uh, state of the union address. And it makes it seem like the only reason that person is there is to give political points to the person speaking it to me. It, it always just seems pandering and disingenuous, but you can't argue the story. That person decided to accept Donald Trump's invitation to his State of the Union to be an example, to be a face for this uh, cause or for this ideology or whatever it is. So if you, if you if you see past the pandering and look at what he's saying, I will acknowledge that. I mean, I've been trying to research this as much as possible leading up to recording this show. But. The, the Vox article actually gets into the fact that these examples of people um, going through transgender surgery, I'm, I'm sorry if that's not the correct way to, to address it, whatever, um, and then down the road having regret, it's well documented, everybody's heard about it, this Vox article tries to approach it as saying, well, that's a very small percentage, number one, and number two, the... Um, Quoting this article, a 2015 survey found only 8% of transgender people in the U.S. detransitioned, most commonly because of pressure from a parent, with 62% of detransition cases proving temporary. Detransitioning. I don't think that that is the correct way to approach this because that's not what he's saying. He's saying that this person didn't detransition. He's saying the issue was they regretted the original transition. If you got a penis and you chop it off, how exactly do you come back from that? What is the detransitioning process? That's more research that I need to do. I'm not sure if I want to see or watch those video examples. Um, I'll stick to reading, but it's it's not like you knocked a tooth out because you know what? I, fuck this tooth, and you knock it out, and then you realize, oh well, you know. I kind of liked having that tooth. I, I, it's weird, but I like the ability to be to, to chew um, and not have a gap. Every time you bite a piece of corn, there's one little kernel left. Anyways. <laughs> um, and then you just go get a, a fake tooth put in there. That's pr- relatively simple. But gender reconstructive surgery is not simple. If it was, it wouldn't be a big deal because people would just, we'd become hermaphroditic freaking frogs and we'd just be bouncing back and forth on our genders, whatever's convenient. That's not the case. The The, the issue is this is a massive surgery and, and really, obviously, people like the people, the writers of this article from Vox don't like comparing uh, gender reassignment surgery to gen, uh, to genital mutilation. Um but really, the only difference between the two 
I mean, if you have to compare either one of them to something, they're pretty freaking close. But really, the difference being intent, right? I want to be a different gender, therefore I get gender reassignment surgery, versus I want you to be less of the gender that you are, therefore I'm going to forcibly fill in the blank. You know, um, if you don't know what gender mutilation is, I'll, I'll let you research that. Um, I'm not going to go into an explanation of it here. But so the point that I'm trying to make here, if Rand Paul's argument is just so full of holes, so full of misinformation, why wasn't that addressed by this supposed professional, this supposed expert, this person that we're supposed to look to as a leader, as an example of what the country is going to do going forward regarding health and human services. Um, why didn't she rebuke? Why didn't she shout back? Why didn't she say, Hey, listen, I, I, I mean, she was very appreciative all over the place, But she never answered the the questions. She never addressed Rand Paul's issues. Now, Rand Paul is Rand Paul, but he's not just Rand Paul. He was put there by voters. He was put there by people of his state to represent them. So, in, in, in essence, Rachel Levine just said, you know what? You people who voted for Rand Paul, I'm not going to grace you with an answer because you don't deserve it. That's, that's what it is. We see this all the time. The left loves to point out how full of hate everybody else is. But when someone presents an argument with well-thought-out points and facts, whether you agree with it or not, there's no argument coming back from the left. There's no rebuttal. All we see is simple filibustering until somebody like Rand Paul's time runs out and they move on to the next person hopefully a Democrat who's, who lobs them softball questions. You know, shouldn't people be allowed to live? Why, yes, Mr. Senator, yes, people should be allowed to live and drink water and have food. Wow. Inspirational. Confirmer. That's the bullshit we see. And it's frustrating. It's so frustrating to watch this stuff happen because there is a sane, rational way to ask questions. And we see... We don't see that out of Congress. And when we do, it's met with passive hostility is, is what I would say we just saw from Rachel Levine or just heard. Passive hostility. You could tell Rand Paul is pissed at not even being dignified with an answer. She knew she didn't have his support and she doesn't want it. She knew she, she knows she doesn't have at least half the country's support. And you know what? She's fine with that. She's cool just getting by because of who's in office. This Vox article says, despite Rand's claims that puberty blockers and gender-affirming hormones are distributed with little thought, as Caitlin Burns wrote for Vox, nowadays doctors recommend taking a humane and affirming approach when a child expresses that their gender may not match their assigned sex at birth. Stop the quote there. Assigned sex at birth. It's not like the doctor was like, eeny, meeny, miny, mo, you're a boy. There's a very specific process for deciding whether a child or a kitten or a dog is male or female. It's not, oh, 
fuck it. I, I've had three girls come out today. Let's make, let's give us a boy. Right? It's a very specific thing that you do to decide whether it's a boy or a girl biologically. And that is you look for genitalia. So, I, I mean, I sympathize with these people. I said this last episode. I sympathize with the person who feels, you know, I'm a male trapped in a female's body or vice versa. I'm going to finish this quote before I go to my next point. Continuing. This affirmation includes allowing trans kids to socially transition, i.e. use whichever name, pronouns, and clothing make them comfortable. Medical interventions like puberty suppression or gender-affirming hormones like estrogen or testosterone are only recommended for adolescents who have been insistent, persistent, and consistent in their gender identity over long periods. I would add in there of time. I don't know why they didn't. I guess grammar doesn't work at Vox. So what they're saying is doctors aren't just like, you get a gender reassignment surgery, you get a gender reassignment surgery. It is the child has to come to them and say, I insist, I am persistent and consistent about the fact that I don't feel I am the right gender. My problem in this, and Rand Paul mentions uh, in the audio clip, which I did not finish, I don't think, I apologize, um, that the average age of some of these gender reassignments is like 3 to 10 Let's listen to the rest of the quote. Senator, uh, transgender medicine is a very complex and nuanced field. Uh, and if confirmed to the... Shut up. ...being used off-label. I find it ironic that the left that went nuts over hydroxychloroquine being used possibly for COVID are not alarmed that these hormones are being used off-label. There's no long-term studies. We don't know what happens to them. We do know that there are dozens and dozens of people who've been through this who, who regret that this happened and a permanent change happened to them. And, you know, if you've ever been around children, 14-year-olds can't make this decision. In the gender dysphoria clinic in England, 10% of the kids are between the ages of 3 and 10. We should be outraged that someone's talking to a 3-year-old about changing their sex. Exactly. And, and listen to what he said. 10% of these people with gender euphoria who regret these decisions, only 10% are 3 to 10. So I'm not trying to say all, all of these people who regret having gender reassignment surgery are 3 years old. That's not the point. The point is, and I'm having a hard time getting to it because there's this other point that I'm trying to make. The point he's making is that there is this group of people that are being treated as adults in their children. They're they're making an, an adult fairly permanent decision and their children. Now what the Vox article tries to point out is, well, this is such a small percentage of the, of the people who get gender reassignment surgery. Where have I heard an argument based on a small percentage of cases? Abortion. Abortion should be easy to get. Everybody should be able to get abortions. Whether you're a child or an adult, if you're a child, you should be able to get an abortion without parental consent. That's the argument. But then when you try to fight back and say, well, maybe not, maybe the parents should be, well, what about rape and incest? Rape and incest, rape and incest. We hear that over and over and over in the abortion argument. But it only makes up like less than 2% of abortion cases. You can't have it both way, leftists. 
You can't have it both ways, Democrats. You have to choose principles. You have to stand by them. And you, you, you can't use the small subset group as an argument to affect everybody else on both sides. Now, Rand Paul presents that argument, a small subset of people. And so I would say he's being equally hypocritical, except he's not trying to say nobody should get gender reassignment surgery. He is trying to say, hey, can we at least look at this and not just try to make it one of these things where it's just a social norm that people, that children are getting gender reassignment surgery? I mean, at least that's 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 how I read it. I don't know. I could be wrong. Um, but I'll finish up this point so we can move on because i got a lot to talk about. In this Vox article, the only mention of parents is negative, and that being they're blaming a lot of gender dysphoria, uh, people regretting having this gender reassignment surgery on the fact they probably got parents that didn't respond positively about it. Um, even the part about young children working with their doctors, there's no mention of parents. Who knows these children? A doctor or their parents? Now we've seen example after example, whether it's climate change, whether it's gender, whether it's health, whatever it is. We've seen so many examples coming from the Democrat Party where they they tell teachers, they encourage teachers to be essentially parents for their children. They encourage teacher, teachers to feel superior to parents, to look down on parents. We saw this, uh, there's a school board, every single member of the, of the school board, I believe, uh, resigned in California just this, this past month, I think, um, because they got caught on a Zoom meeting. They didn't know that they had made the link public. They thought they were in a private meeting and there were parents who saw this and they were making fun of parents, telling them we're basically, they see us as the babysitters. You know, we're the ones who know that what's best for these kids. And that's the mentality of school leadership. I think a lot of teachers themselves, my wife is a teacher, they see these kids and they just want to do what's right for the kids. But, you know, I always encourage like, hey, when we've got kids and we got a teacher coming to us saying, hey, you should be doing this for your child. I'm going to be like, listen, that's my, that's my kid. I, I accept your advice and, and I receive it and I appreciate it. Your job's done now. My job as a parent is to make the decisions. And that is a f- complete 180 of the ideology that we see coming from the far left. The far left is this, it takes a village to raise a child, um, that parents aren't necessarily always the ones who have the best interests in mind for a child. And that's reflected in this, where they want abortions, they want transgender uh, surgeries to be easy to, to, to receive by a child on demand without consent from a parent. How does that make any sense? Who has the best interests for the child in mind? The parent who birthed, who has raised this child, obviously in the vast majority of cases where parents are just trying to be good parents, obviously there are abusive situations that, again, it is such a small subset of the discussion that we can address that. Let's, let's do that. Let's specifically, let's address those small cases, but let's not use that small subset to create policy for the rest. That, that to me just sounds like common sense. In this discussion, there's only one party that stands to make any money. 
from from per- performing a trans transgender uh, or gender reassignment surgery, and that's the doctor, and that's the insurance company. So of course they're going to be on the side of what's performed the surgery. Let's do it four times. You want to be a male? All right, I'm going to make you female first, then make you male. Then I might jump you back to a female. Let's make you male again. Not really. That's just hyperbole, obviously. Uh, last quote. It is really critical to me that our nominees be treated with respect and that our questions focus on their qualifications and the work ahead of us, rather than on ideological and harmful misrepresentations like those we heard from Senator Paul earlier. This is another senator who used her time to, instead of asking critical questions of the nominee, used her time to criticize Rand Paul and his line of questioning. She Further quoting, Paul's line of questioning comes on the heels of another public GOP attack on trans youth from Rep. Marjorie Taylor Greene. There's a whole issue surrounding Marjorie Taylor Greene, the stuff she said in the past. Uh, she was silenced in the House. I think she was stripped from her um, her uh, appointments. Continuing, as the House works to pass the Equality Act, another issue we got to talk about, which would ban discrimination against LGBTQ people, Green hung a transphobic sign outside of her office that read, there are two genders, male and female. Trust the science. And I put that quote in there because I don't believe that Marjorie Taylor Greene is handling this the correct way. Um, It says that she put that that sign on her office saying that male and female, that that's it. My issue with that is I think the article says she is right across the hallway from somebody with a transgendered child. So that's not... That, that to me is just a slap in the face. So there is a correct way. And that, that is my entire obsession with this podcast is there is a correct way to handle these issues. There's a correct way for us to debate and treat each other. Even if they're lawmakers, why can't they just be civil with each other? And that, that to me is just the bottom line failing of our political system right now is it is so wrapped up in politics that you can do whatever you want. You're still going to keep your party's vote. But there's no focus on keeping the voters vote. You know, we are given choices. We're not given a choice. We are given choices. And that that is, uh, what is that? Cass Sunstein, I think, um, that if you, want, if you want a specific outcome, you don't convince people to choose your outcome. You give people three, four, five choices four of them being ridiculous options. So it's, Oh, I guess I got to go with option C and it is the choice that you wanted them to take to begin with that. That's what we're seeing here. Um, anyways, I'll move on from that. Cause I can talk about that all freaking day. Uh, I want to get to Merrick Garland, this attorney general nominee from Joe Biden. I've got some audio I want to play, which is Josh Hawley. I believe forget what state he's a Senator from. He's asking Merrick Garland about border security. This is an article from the Epoch Times. Again, all of this audio, all the articles that I mention are in the show notes. You can go and take a look for yourself. Let me know if you disagree with what I'm saying. Um, give us feedback. Give us comments. Keep the discussion going. I don't want to be wrong. I want to. I want feedback from y'all. I want to hear what you think about the points that I'm making, and then together we can discuss and we can come to the best solution. Um, but if everybody's just in their own echo chambers, we're never going to get anywhere. Anyways, here's the audio of... Merrick Garland uh, receiving a question from Senator Josh Hawley. Let me ask you about uh, 
assaults on federal property in places other than Washington, D.C., Portland, for instance, Seattle. Do you regard assaults on federal courthouses or other federal property as acts of domestic extremism, domestic terrorism? Well, Senator, my own definition, which is about the same as the statutory definition, is uh, a use of violence or threats of violence uh, in an attempt to uh, disrupt uh, democratic processes. So an attack on a, uh, a courthouse while in operation, uh, trying to prevent judges from actually deciding cases, that plainly is um, domestic uh, um, uh, uh, extremism, um, 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 uh, uh, domestic uh, terrorism, um, an attack simply on a government property at night or any other kind of circumstances is a clear crime and a serious one and should be punished. I don't mean, I don't know enough of the, about the facts of the example you're talking about, but that's where I, I draw the line. One, one is both are uh, criminal um, uh, but one is uh, a core attack on our democratic institutions. Now, obviously, that was <laughs> the wrong piece of freaking audio. Um, that was obviously the question about uh, the riots over the summer and um, how the attorney general would have responded to those. Um, the, the one I wanted to get to, and I guess I didn't pull the audio for it. I apologize. But it was a question from the same senator, Josh Hawley, asking the nominee for attorney general, Merrick Garland, if he does see illegal border crossings as a crime, would he continue to see that as a crime? Um, I mean, I think it's there in the term, actually, uh, illegal crime. Anyways, um, there's there's two two major points with Merrick Garland. One. They're putting him into office because he is going to be the one to to use civil rights, um, race relations, things like that to combat domestic terrorism, which is fine, except his definition of domestic terrorism would lump most of the people at the, the, the peaceful people at the protest on January 6th, lump all of them in with the small minority of people that wreaked havoc and havoc and violence on our Capitol building. Um, some people, in my opinion, just throw around the term extremist and um, terms like that too easily. And when you can do that, when you can just say, oh, that group is an extremist party, that's a domestic terrorist group. There's a lot of implication that comes with that. When you're a domestic terrorist group now, it, I mean, it's illegal to be a part of that group. You you are will be targeted um, by the FBI for being members of that group. Uh, a lot of people were upset by the fact that the KKK wasn't classified as a domestic terrorist group. I don't know if it is yet. If it's not, can we just get this done? You know, can we just move on? <laughs> it, it, we provide so many counter arguments because of hypocrisy and not following through. Okay. I want Antifa to be a terrorist group. Why have we not made the KKK a domestic terrorist group? I don't understand that. I don't understand why we even provided that argument for them. Merrick Garland has said that he plans to prioritize civil rights and combating domestic terrorism if, if confirmed. And yet, as we just heard, the reason I played this clip is the same reason I wanted to play the other clip, and that's he doesn't have answers. Yet again, just like Rachel Levine, he will not provide answers unless it's a Democrat lobbing him a softball fart of a question. 
He wants to prioritize civil rights and combating domestic terrorism, yet when he's asked a question about the violence that occurred over the summer, he says he's not aware of the circumstances that are being referred to. Has he not turned on the news since, like, freaking March 2020? I don't understand it. And then he does get around to somewhat of an answer, and he essentially says, well, there were people in the Capitol building on January 6th because it was daytime. And then the federal court buildings, the police precincts, the churches, the businesses that were looted and attacked, that was done at nighttime, therefore, what, nobody was harmed? It's not a crime? Come on, man. Like, How does someone get this nomination without having firm, predictable... reputational alliances is reputational a word i don't know why is he getting a nomination if he does not understand the issues at hand he should have very specific positions on these issues very specific opinions on these issues that biden campaigned on biden needs to keep those promises Racial equality, wealth inequality, border security, immigration reform. All these things that an attorney general is going to be very key in enacting policy on. Why would Biden appoint somebody who hasn't even thought about the issues? Well, because he has thought about the issues. He just doesn't want to answer these questions. And that's the issue. That's the problem. We don't, we know what these people think, but we can't get them actually saying it in front of a congressional hearing because they don't feel like we deserve an answer. That's infuriating. I deserve an answer. You deserve an answer. Whether you agree with Merrick Garland or you disagree, whether you like Biden or hate him, love Trump or hate him, you as a voter, as a concerned citizen deserve answers from these people. And they are so high on their own power. They're so high on their own, what they see as a duty to mankind. That they don't, they don't, us peons don't even deserve an answer from them. And that's what pisses me off. Moving on. Washington Post opinion piece. Republicans don't get to talk about bipartisanship. This article I'll get through really quick because I think it very easily and clearly illustrates exactly the issue that's going on in our country. This article very quickly jumps into a list of ways that, quote, Republicans have had no shortage of opportunities for bipartisanship. Now, what do you think? Do they list, uh, well, can we compromise on taxes? Can we uh, try and pass a balanced budget? Can we agree on COVID is bad? Can we agree on even abortion, uh, where it used to be rare, you know, under extreme circumstances, okay, fine, abortion's fine, abortion's okay. And then the very same people, the next elect, next election cycle was, I'm proud of my abortion. Who who did we see that? I can't I can't remember either. Uh, saw somebody saying that I'm proud of my abortion. I'm a I'm a dirty woman. Who was that? I need to figure out who that was. Um. 
So where was the flip? Where was the pivot? In my opinion, there was no pivot. This is the progressive playbook. It is, let's just get them to compromise just a little bit over here. And then we'll hit them another, again in two more years. Just a little bit here. Common sense gun reforms. Hit them there. Nobody should have an assault style weapon. Take away their AR-15s. Buy a shotgun. Like Joe Biden said, shoot it in the air. Um, that's illegal. So no, they didn't do any of the things that we could reach a compromise on and everybody be okay with it. They listed items that are literally on the top of the list of what is dividing our nation. They list items that are impossible for a nation that is divided to come together on. Instead of introducing a list of serious bipartisan issues, oh, human trafficking is another, trafficking, government waste, immigration reform, along with border security. You know, there used to be those, all right, we want this, so let's, we'll toss them one of these over here. We want to make the immigration process easier. So in exchange, let's beef up our, our border security. There you go. Everybody's happy, right? How about election security? Don't we all want our elections to be secure, not only from within, but from foreign agitators like Russia? No, instead they choose the, to list the top items on the list of things dividing us. That's how I know that they don't want to unite. They being the far left. Again, not the average Democrat, not the traditional liberal. I mean, the far left, the radical left, and Democrat leadership that is pandering to the radical left. They don't want unity. They want submission. They want victory over conservative thought and small government minds. And that's the problem. We cannot unite on issues that they are impeaching presidents over, on issues that they are silencing businesses, silencing influencers, silencing actors, performers, silencing a former president of the United States. How can we unite on those issues? I refer back to episode 23. In order to have integrity in any debate, you have to at least demonstrate a willingness to unite or compromise, particularly if you're going to start slinging mud and discrediting the other side's lack of willingness to unite or compromise. Is this really this hard for people to understand? Maybe I'm a genius. You know, I always say maybe I'm the stupid one, but maybe I'm just smart. Everybody else is dumb. <laughs> oh. All right, moving on. So we have this article from uh, Fox News, who, by the way, did y'all see the uh, that letter that came out of the California, I think Congress, or maybe it was California senators, um, federal, I mean, that, uh, that sent a letter to media companies and uh, cable companies, things like that, asking, are you going to continue to um, distribute Fox News, Newsmax, OAN, uh, One American News Network? Are you going to continue to, stri to distribute that past their uh, contract renewal dates? And if so, why? Does that sound familiar? Anybody? Does the, the, let's rephrase it. Have you, are you, or have you ever been, or have you ever employed some, a member of the communist party? That line of questioning didn't end too well, uh, back in world war two. What was that Cold War? 
Anyways, um, those lines of questions don't end well. When you start saying, just by providing the option of Fox News, now you're being grouped. You're put, being put on one of these lists. Nobody wants to be on a list. Um, anyways, so Ken Cuccinelli is a, um, he was, he was part of the Trump administration and he is taking the lead on this initiative to take on the Democrats HR one election bill. Now to get the coveted, coveted spot of HR one, the first house resolution bill to be put, put forward to the house that is signaling, okay, this is important. This is the item. The first item that this year's Congress, this session of Congress is going to address. So what is so important? HR1 essentially federalizes the election process, election regulation. They're expected to uh, to vote on it on the floor of the House the first week of March. So it's coming up very quickly. The bill... Um, according to this article, includes everything, quote, from a D.C. statehood resolution, huge issue, to automatic voter registration. Republicans have said the bill amounts to a federal government takeover of election law. So all three of those points. Why is that a big issue? Why is that a big deal? It's a big deal because our Constitution is set up the way it is to enable individual states to set their own election law. So every state can, can have its own election process, its own rules, uh, voter ID, all those things. We had some states try to do an app for voting, failed miserably, it crashed right away. Um, but every state is given that autonomy, that, that power to conduct their own elections because essentially, what, what not essentially, that's what it does. What, it, what they do is the, the state holds their election and then they send voters to D.C. to confirm the vote. And then Congress says, yes, the Electoral College says this. That's what we're going with. That's what we saw what was supposed to happen and what did end up happening on January 6th. There's no precedent there for Congress to say, well, we don't like the votes that the states are enacting, so we're just going to do something different. That's not how it works. So that does give the power to a more localized um group versus just a federal takeover because what happens when there's a federal takeover of election laws well i mean that that's that's a major step towards all of these democracies we see around the world where okay yeah everybody voted for their favorite politician except uh it was a rigged election because all the power lies in a centralized body of government that's not what we want we want the states to have the power to do their own elections, to say, well, this is what works for us. Because guess what? If Pennsylvania or Utah or whoever wants mass mail-in voting, go for it. Now, of course, the issue in 2020 arose from the fact that there was no precedent of mail-in voting. And then, oh, COVID, now we're going to have mass mail-in voting. That was the issue. Um, so, again, we can, can unite around this of Mail-in voting isn't inherently bad. It has issues. So it's not like we should say, well, all right, fine. Next week, let's have a mail-in vote. It doesn't work that way. You'd say, all right, 2024, we're going to have mail-in voting. So from 2021 until then, 
Let's beef up our security. Let's make sure that we can verify these votes so that everybody's confident in the election process. That That is unifying. Unfortunately, that's not what the Democrats want. The Democrats want this H- HR1 called the For the People Act. And they, and they want to advertise and promote it as a way to expand voting rights. Because what it's, what it's going to do is it's going to federally say that it's illegal to require voter ID. Um, it's illegal to require uh, proof of citizenship, things like that. Now, federally, the federal government's going to tell the states exactly how to conduct their elections, and that's not how it's supposed to be. Beyond that, though, um, the Democrats are also seeking D.C. statehood. Now, if you don't know this, uh, Washington, D.C. is not a state, it's a territory. It doesn't send electors to Congress to vote for the people. Granting Washington, D.C. statehood would overnight grant two more Democrat Senate seats right away. Washington, D.C. is a very liberal state, very Democrat, or not state, very Democrat territory. So overnight, they would get more Senate seats. Could you be more obvious? <laughs> Just say that you you don't ever want a Republican to ever hold power in this land ever again. Just say it. The bill, quoting this article from Fox News, the bill also breaks the so-called nesting doll sham that allows big money contributors and special interests to hide the true funding source of their political spending, end quote, by donating to another group to buy a political ad. So what does that mean? If I want to give a bunch of money to Donald Trump, I don't have to give it to Donald Trump's campaign fundraiser, I can give it to a conservative PAC, political action committee, that does the work for the Trump campaign. At face value, it seems like an opportunity to skirt um, uh, donation laws, contribution laws. That's not the point of it. The point of it Well, let me ask this question. Why would an administration like the Biden administration that has surrounded itself with folks using words like, excuse me, words like uh, lists of Trump supporters, deprogramming Trump supporters, lumping average Republican voters in with the small minority of violent rioters at the mostly peaceful Stop the Steal March on January 6th, Um, shut up and sit down about voter fraud. On and on and on. Why would that administration want to be able to see which candidates and which groups large donors are donating to? Large donors are union groups, corporations, political action committees, (coughs) NRA. Why would they want that? If HR1 passes, we are well on the way to a conservative Republican never being elected to high office again. Because essentially what this would allow them to do is this would, this would allow doxing of political voters. All right, so this corporation publicly traded, donated money to this political action group. All right, that's fine. But uh, PayPal is no longer going to provide payment services. MasterCard is no longer going to provide payment services, as we saw them do with gun manufacturers after Sandy Hook. 
uh, Shopify is not going to allow them to sell their merchandise online as they did with the Trump store. They are weaponizing every lever of government and big tech media against the conservative voice. But again, maybe I'm stupid. <laughs> oh, moving on. Joe Biden calls the Uyghur genocide different cultural norms. Let's listen to some audio about this um, big issue that not a lot of people are talking about. You know, Chinese leaders, if you know anything about Chinese history, it has always been the time when China has been victimized by the outer world is when they haven't been unified at home. So the central, oh, to vastly overstated, the central principle of Xi Jinping is that there must be a united, tightly controlled China. And he uses his rationale for the things he does based on that. I point out to him, no American president can be sustained as a president if he doesn't reflect the values of the United States. And so the idea, I'm not going to speak out against what he's doing in Hong Kong, what he's doing with the Uyghurs in western mountains of, of uh, China, and Taiwan trying to end the one China policy by making it forceful. I, I said, and by the way, he said he, he gets it. Culturally, there are different norms at each country and they, their leaders are expected to follow. So I want to hit this one quickly. For those who don't know, and I'm not getting up on a soapbox or a podium here, this is a very new topic to me that I'm still uh, researching, trying to figure out how to explain. Um, been spending a lot of late nights reading up about this, but basically, there's this group of um, I think Turkish Muslims in the I think Western region of China uh, that are being targeted as extremists. Now, these are Muslims. These are not Christians. These are not Buddhists. These are not political extremists. These are Muslims. They're being put into re-education camps. Proven. Uh, they've been deemed extremists. Therefore, their traditions, their religious uh, traditions, things like that, beards, the, the worst things that people have claimed have gone on in Guantanamo Bay. The, the Obama always said he was going to close Guantanamo Bay. Never did it. I don't think. Did he? I don't know. Maybe he did. But the worst things that they, they would accuse America of doing to Muslims, it's happening in China. Not only are they being re-educated, they're being tortured. They are being um, ripped from their families. Ooh, where have we heard that before? All of these things, just flagrant violations of human rights. Where's the rest of the world on this? Oh, and Biden calls it different cultural norms. We're not talking about the, the, the best way to season your rice. We're not talking about whether you drive on the right side of the road or the left side. We're talking about the imprisonment of a specific group of religious people, human beings, targeting them as extremists and putting them into re-education camps. No problem. He was able to keep a straight face going through that explanation of why he won't speak out against it. At what point does that argument fall apart? 
How about homosexuals being drowned in cages while they're being filmed with GoPros in the Middle East? How about homosexuals being thrown off buildings in the Middle East, Russia? What about different societal norms in South or Central America that leads these caravans of people to come to America illegally? Shouldn't we respect those other countries' social norms and encourage the people to stay there? Well, that, that's just the social norm over there. Deal with it. Except Biden won't do that. Biden, along with the Obama administration, set the precedent that if you are poor, mistreated where you are, just come to America and we'll, we'll take care of you. Yet when there are people that are being systematically imprisoned, tortured, brainwashed, and killed for who they are, what they believe in. Biden's okay with uh, just settling with the fact that China calls them extremists, so got to respect their social norms. I can think of other groups that are now being called extremists, and I wonder what Biden's method of dealing with them will be. And that's all I got to say about that. Uh, man, we are out of time. Uh, quickly, Biden ordered a strike against an Iran-backed Syrian force. Uh, this Newsweek article quickly jumps jumps all over the Trump administration, saying the Trump administration en- enacted harsh sanctions on Iran and instituted a campaign of maximum pressure that was followed by increased incidents between U.S. troops and Iraqi militias aligned with Iran. Iran, sorry, Iraq, Iran. My friend B from Iran would be laughing at me right now. Iran. Iran. That's how he always uh, makes fun of me when I say that. Iran. During this period, continuing to quote, Trump too hit Hezbollah positions in eastern Syria and also bombed the group in its native Iran, Iran, where he ordered the assassination of top Iranian, Iranian (laughs) military leader, revolutionary guard, guard, uh, the uh, Quds Force Commander Major General Qasim Soleimani as well. All of that to say, this article holds Trump accountable for violence against the Iranian regime. But then when it comes to Biden, nothing. There's no critique on on Biden doing this. It was just simply stated, this is what he did, and this is why when Trump did the same thing, it was wrong. At least when Trump did this, there's actual progress made. There were terrorists killed. There were major leaders killed. No new wars started and troops were brought home. I hope Biden does the same. I hope Biden continues Trump's foreign policy, except getting back into the the Iran deal. Screw it. The Iran deal. It's a a step in the wrong direction, in my opinion. Maybe you disagree. But compare and contrast this article, read it, you should, Newsweek, I'll have it linked in the show notes. Compare and contrast this article with the media outrage after Trump took out Soleimani. Warmongering, placating to his violent base. World War III is about to happen. He crossed over the demilitarized zone into North Korea, shook hands with Kim Jong-un, and that was, oh, World War III is about to happen. Kim Jong-un is his best friend. We're being sold out to North Korea. What? article doesn't weigh in on the morality of Biden's actions, but certainly takes aim at former President Trump. What's the difference? Both administrations described their actions as proportional responses to the preceding military 
events between these two military groups. So if both are proportional responses, why is one being treated differently? I don't know. I don't have the answer. And the last, potato head has genitals mutilated, mustache forcibly removed, prefer- preferred pronouns abandoned. It's Mr. Potato Head to you, you backstabbing murderer. No, okay. <laughs> In other words, Mr. Potato Head is now just Potato Head. Whatever. You know, I don't care. This doesn't deserve time on this podcast, except the fact, what about Mrs. Potato Head? Does anybody, did you ever own a Mrs. Potato Head? Do you remember when it came out? I don't. I remember in Toy Story, though. But what about all the feminism? All the feminist ideology and the women's rights and women's representation in pop culture that led to a Mrs. Potato Head to begin with. They wanted female representation, and now they're scrapping it all together because apparently gender doesn't exist. We saw, uh, oh, what's her name? I forget her name. Uh, who just came out saying that gender reveal parties are are anti-trans or something like that. <sighs> I'm officially old now because I'm just sitting over here griping about the world going to hell in a handbasket and the freaking government. I miss a simpler time when a Mr. Potato Head came with useful attachments like butter, bacon, fresh chives, and a sprinkling of salt and pepper. Uh, that was a bad joke. Anyways... I'll leave you with this. Um, I was going to go into this book, the COVID-19 book that I've been reading, but I don't have time. So that's going to go over to episode 25. I'll leave you with this. This thought of what the hell am I supposed to do? It's it's been ricocheting around in my head. Um, It's infuriating. (laughs) Can't sleep. What am I supposed to do about all this? What are we as concerned citizens supposed to do? It's a tough question. What are normal citizens supposed to do to affect change? We see these these issues come about. And many times I feel completely helpless. It seems impossible to affect any sort of positive change. And so what do we do? We just give up before we even start trying. But in all reality, can we affect change? Well, our system's built on the idea that, yeah, we can. Our system's built on the idea that we can in the future, next election cycle. We can't make it happen right now. Our, our system is supposed to work slowly. Although it doesn't seem, doesn't seem like it is under this administration or the prior administrations. But there's this side of me that says... Isn't all this just a little dramatic? Maybe we shouldn't be so worried about all this crap. Because I guess it could be a lot worse. Um, I don't know. Babylon B uh, kind of called me out, made me think about this. They posted a uh, one of their memes that says, American Christian bummed that following Christ may soon actually cost him something. And that's so true. We live in this country that has provided us with freedom and a voice and ability to just do what it is to pursue our own happiness as long as it doesn't violate the rights of somebody else. And yet we're taking a turn from that. We haven't turned from it completely. As of right now, our government hasn't taken massive steps to silence people. They don't have to. They're relying on this capitalistic system that's allowing big tech, big media to do the, um, the persecuting for them. Their hands are clean. 
Maybe we are worrying a little bit too much right now, but isn't that kind of the point? To worry now so we can hopefully not have to worry about it later when shit hits the fan? I think the important thing is just being able to live with yourself, and that's all this is. For me, making this podcast is what it's what it takes for me to sleep at night. I feel like at least I'm putting my thoughts and my voice out there for you to agree, disagree, not give a crap about whatever. At least I'm going on the record of saying this is what I believe and this is why I believe it and I'm open-minded to what you believe. At least I'm doing my part to get my views out there, my voice out there, and not just be silent and accept whatever it is that's coming down the, the crapshoot. So do you, be you. Challenge those around you to do the same. It's important. While we still have our voices, let's use them. And while you're doing all that, while you're engaging on social media, while you're blogging or vlogging or TikToking or Snapchatting or whatever the kids are doing these days, be kind to each other, be respectful. When you're calling for unity or trying to call out the other side for not wanting unity as I just did, ask yourself, are you capable of compromise? Are you capable of uniting with the other side if they came to the table honestly. Because what if the other side does come and say, all right, we're ready to negotiate. But then Republicans and conservatives say, no, 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 you don't want to unify. You don't, you don't want to talk. You don't want to actually compromise. And then the, the discussion never happens. Well, that's just as counterproductive. If not more so. Because it just breeds more further, more intense hostility between the two parties. So take that as a challenge. Um, be open-minded, value your beliefs, value your principles, but at the same time, have enough intellectual curiosity to say, well, what if I'm wrong? Prove me wrong. In the words of Steven Crowder, change my mind. By the way, if you're not following Steven Crowder or the Ladder with Crowder group, you need to. Um, for anybody listening to this podcast, if you send me an email, info at crossandmusket.com, or if you direct message me, DM me on Instagram at point B underscore cast, I will pay for your first year of uh, the Blaze TV subscription. I will pay for your Mug TV subscription, which gets you access to the entire Blaze TV network of news and personalities. It is the largest subscription platform in the world. Bar none. I will pay for your first year. Um, and I'll, I'll sign you up for the Blaze through Mug Club, which you will get a free Louder with Crowder mug. Beautiful. What do you have to lose? Um, again, didn't talk to you about Black Rifle Coffee, but uh, check out their website, www.blackriflecoffee.com. Check out at Cross and Musket on Instagram for a sweet made in America, made in Texas tea. And um, man, other than that, tune in for Trump speaking at CPAC on Sunday, this Sunday, February 28th. He'll be the last speaker. Don't fangirl about it. I'm going to try not to fangirl about whatever Trump says. Or fanboy. <laughs> I just want to see what he says. I want to see his tone. I want to see how he uh, positions and postures himself leading into the 2022 midterm elections. So uh, watch it live. Watch it in full. That way you can make your own assessment of his words. Don't wait for CNN or somebody else on YouTube to come out. Chop up his speech and then give you what it is he said. Don't, don't listen to the people like me. Listen to it live. And then we can come together and talk about it. But that's just... That's just me. That's just my approach. Anyways, I'll let you go. Thanks for tuning in. This was your Friday Debrief, episode 24 of the Point B Podcast. I'm your host, Bobby. 
check out Black Raffle Coffee. Check out at Cross and Musket on Instagram. Like us, follow us, share our posts on Instagram at point B underscore cast. And whatever platform you're listening to us on, we appreciate it and we would greatly appreciate a review. Let us know how we're doing. If you got questions, info at crossandmusket.com. Have a good week. Thank you.